So, you know, I think uh, probably <clears throat> most, if not all of us, have experienced uh, some sort of coincidence in our lives, right? Maybe uh, you said something at the same time as somebody else. Maybe you bumped into an old friend at uh, most unlikely of places. Uh, maybe you've been surprised with some piece of good fortune that you didn't expect, and you found yourself thinking, I sure was in the right place at the right time for that. And that's kind of a natural human response. But for the believer, there's no such thing as dumb luck. There's only divine design. Because our God has revealed himself in his word to be a sovereign king who positions his people intentionally to be in the right places at the right time to accomplish his purpose. So that ultimately, uh, in God's universe, there are no loose ends, only divine appointments. And we're going to be looking at that today in... Uh, a little more well-known story than we covered last week. Uh, and this is the story today of the encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 as we continue uh, kind of our summertime diversion from the lectionary and our trip through the book of Acts. So we're up today to Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading to you the second half, which will be verses 26 through 40. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. So listen now to Acts Uh, And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and as returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, I'm sorry, like a sheep, brother, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, again for this continuing story of your faithful church and your faithful men and women in the book of Acts. We ask, Father, uh, that you would lend us that same Holy Spirit that you poured out on the day of Pentecost, uh, that your word would go out this morning because you promised it won't return to you in vain, but accomplish all that you purpose it to. And so we thank you for these next moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you, if you happen to be joining us for the first time, uh, either here or online, we've been taking a break, as I said, from the regular uh, lectionary readings for the Lord's Day and looking instead 
to the book of Acts and to the life of the fledgling Christian church, uh, along with all of its growing pains that they were experiencing, right? Uh, which is where we were first introduced to a man by the name of Philip. Now, I don't think I made this clear before, but just for clarification, this is not Philip the Apostle. This is not Philip, one of the twelve, but another Philip. This is Philip the deacon, who we talked about before, uh, along with Stephen and the five others, were appointed as a group of seven administrators uh, of the daily distribution of food and funds to the widows and the orphans of the early church. And then we talked about how that church began to be persecuted. And that persecution forced the church to scatter. And the Bible tells us as the believers scattered, they went about preaching the word. Once again, proving the truth of the scriptures that what man means for evil, God means for good. As we see that the arrest and the imprisonment and even the death of godly saints are the same events that at the same time caused the word of God to be scattered and caused the nations to hear and to believe the good news about Jesus. And it's at the, the, the confluence of these disparate events that we see Philip now go down to the region of Samaria. That, that here's the gospel with joy. And at the same time, puts Philip in a position to begin the advancement of that gospel on out to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus had said. And we read it now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place. And he must have thought, what? You want me to do what? Lord, you mean you want me to leave this, this big city that's seeing hundreds of converts? It's experiencing amazing physical and spiritual healing. And you want me to go out to the desert all by myself? New Testament scholar Craig Keeners calls this uh, what he says an, abs an absurd, yeah, easy for me to say, an absurd command, humanly speaking. Of which he said there are many in the book of Acts and throughout scripture. It's a command from God that doesn't make any sense. Why rise and go south to a desert place? And he says, what an odd instruction without explanation. This is a command that requires faith to obey. But church, walking with God means obeying God even when we don't have an explanation of what he's doing, right? Uh, faith does not require God to explain himself. Faith does not require that God give us a blueprint of every detail of his plan. Faith simply says, Lord, wherever you lead, that's where I'm going to go. Which reminds me of one of my favorite stories from the life of Moses. And I've shared this a ton in Sunday school before. Remember when God was commissioning him to go down to Egypt and rescue the people? And Moses kind of looking around for some confirmation that God is going to see him through all of this. And I love this verse. And God spoke to Moses saying, certainly I'll be with you. And this will be a token to you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. So in other words, what he says to him, you want proof? Uh, okay, when you go and you do everything I told you to, and you're right back here where you started with all those people, you'll know that I sent you. So, so do what I say first, and then you'll see. And poor Philip, he didn't even get that much assurance, did he? The angel just told him, rise and go, and Acts 8.27 says Philip rose and went. And what happened? He gets to this desert road, but it turns out not to be a deserted place. And Philip sees this splendid chariot making its kind of slow progress on a dusty road. There's one man standing in the chariot driving. Uh, another man very finely and strangely dressed sits reading from a scroll audibly. 
And Philip recognizes the words from the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot. And so Philip ran to him. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who could describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And that scripture that he's reading was from, of course, the Old Testament, right? Um, no part of the New Testament had even been written yet. And it wouldn't be for about another 20 years. And yet here is a perfect example and a perfect picture of Christ in the ancient world. And in the ancient text. And so, folks, if, if you ever hear someone who claims to be a fellow Christian who says some lazy thinking, moronic thing like, oh, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Or we can do evangelism without the Old Testament text. Or God just seems so violent and angry in the Old Testament. So let, let's just kind of downplay it. You, you have my permission to haul off and punch that person straight in the nose. <laughs> because that is a lie straight from the devil. Right? Church, every part of Scripture is vitally connected to every other part. And every part points to Christ from the first lines of creation in Genesis to the last amen of the book of Revelation. As St. Augustine said, the New Testament is in the old concealed. The old is by the new revealed. And you can see that just, I'll give you a quick example. Think about it like this. Uh, in Genesis, Satan's doom is prophesied. In Revelation, it's realized. In Genesis, we see the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation, we see the new heavens and the new earth completed. In Genesis, we see the first Adam reigning on earth. In Revelation, we see the last Adam, Jesus, reigning in glory. In Genesis, we see the earthly bride brought to the first Adam. In Revelation, we see a heavenly bride. And who is the heavenly bride? That's us. Brought to the last Adam, Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it like this. For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness so the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. And Philip was fully equipped, wasn't he? He, he knew the word and he knew his Lord and he was ready. And here he is not knowing this man in the chariot from Adam advancing on it and asking the question, do you understand what you're reading? And honestly, if you think about it, the man with the scroll really replies with surprising candor, considering this inquiry came from a complete stranger uh, on a deserted road who seemingly ran up out of nowhere. And, and honestly, if you think about it, ask a question that could have come off as insulting. Right? You understand what you're reading? But instead of saying, you know, get lost, buddy, or what's it to you? Instead, he said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And so he motions the driver to stop. He invites Philip to take a seat beside him as the chariot rolls on with these two men who had never laid eyes on each other before, now engaged in a Bible study. And church, the reason that can happen, the reason that does still happen, is because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends cultures and ethnicities. Uh, it flattens every strata of economic difference or accident of birth. It exceeds all academic disciplines. It's not owned by any monarch or political power or people group because it is the exclusive province of Almighty God and it is the most important message in the whole world. 
And in the, these verses, we're seeing it bringing together these two very different worlds today in the text as, you know, on the one hand, this working class uh, Hebrew born deacon Philip rides side by side now with this highly placed ethnically African treasure of Ethiopia. They had nothing else in common. They had nothing in common with the gospel. This Ethiopian also, we're told, happens to be a eunuch, which is uh, it was a man who was castrated probably before the age of five for the purpose of future service as a high official in a royal household. Uh, many times as an overseer and guard of the king's harem, of course, for obvious reasons, uh, but also lots of other key administrative roles because it made those men more docile and prevented the likelihood of them uh, fomenting a plot to overthrow the government because they were incapable of having children of their own to set up a dynasty. Uh, and this particular eunuch, we're told, was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her treasury. But he also happened to be a worshiper of the God of Israel, a recent convert. And we know that because he doesn't seem to know uh, exactly what he's reading. So uh, he's someone who, although new and untrained as a believer, had come a long distance journey from his home in the south, uh, roughly about 1,600 miles. Right. And there are people that won't drive 15 minutes to come to a, a, right, a good church. Um, a three month trip, guys, one way. All right, to worship in Jerusalem. And now he's returning home and likely little, more than a little sad. And you can't really pick this up from the text. You have to know your Old Testament history to pick this up. Because as a Jewish convert, he would have wanted to participate in every aspect of worship that was possible. But he would have found out really quickly that he couldn't. And he couldn't because of one sentence in the ceremonial law in Deuteronomy 23.1. That says, no one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So guess what he couldn't do when he made it to Jerusalem? He couldn't go into the temple. And so he would have been barred from the temple even though he was a believer. And now he's headed home somewhat unsatisfied, but yet still eager to know more about Israel's God. And so he's reading through the great scroll of the prophet Isaiah as he rides along. But he's still left wondering about this mysterious figure that it speaks of, that the author describes. This suffering figure, and, and, and we read, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Uh, is it about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And what more perfect place to start than with the one preeminent prophecy of the coming Messiah. And of course, that's not all there is to Isaiah chapter 53, is there? Right? And I'm going to read it to you. So this is the chapter he's reading from. Isaiah 53 says, Who's believed our message? And to whom hath the arm of Jehovah been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. As a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, and as a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who among them considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? For the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in death. Although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Prolong his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah will profit in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By the knowledge of himself shall my righteous servant justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he'll divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so Philip said, you're reading this great Old Testament passage. I'll tell you who that's about. He says, that's stricken, suffering servant of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who had just crucified a couple of months ago outside Jerusalem and who three days later was raised to life and now reigns in glory at the Father's right side. A beaten up Messiah King who went to the cross to complete and fulfill all of those Old Testament covenants. To break down the wall of separation that kept people divided into classes and conditions. And to establish one new united kingdom of Jesus Christ. Who's calling to himself a people out of every tongue and tribe and language and nation. And now that they're deep into the study, I bet, I'm sure they kept right on reading as they wrote along, right? They didn't just end with one chapter. Very quickly got a couple more chapters in until they got to Isaiah 56. Which says in part, let not the foreigner, right, he's a foreigner, who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will separate me surely from his people. Isn't that what happened to him in Jerusalem, humanly speaking? And how about this? And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree, for thus says the Lord. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him. To love the name of the Lord and be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Now what's that covenant? The new covenant, right, with Jesus Christ. These I will bring to my holy mountain. And I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. What a beautiful verse for him to find just a few chapters in. Right? And just about then in another dramatic display of divine serendipity we read they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine what it would be like to be baptized by somebody and they disappear? <laughs> I don't know if I ever want that to happen to me. And I bet the eunuch wasn't the only one rejoicing. Philip had to be rejoicing, too, to have found himself in the right place at the right time to help the right person take the right next step to find Jesus Christ. And then he disappears with his divine appointment accomplished and his mission complete. And brothers and sisters, you and I may find ourselves in a similar situation to Philip sometime. Uh, we may find ourselves led at some time to some place near to someone who needs to hear not a word from us, but from the word of God. And we need to be sensitive to those opportunities. 
And, and we need to make ourselves available. And we need to be unafraid that we might mess it up. Because what is required is not extraordinary knowledge or fantastic eloquence or an unusual depth of spirituality. We must simply speak the truth of Scripture and bear witness to Jesus Christ as he's revealed and leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. And our right person may not be some high official from a distant country, but simply someone who just turns up in our path. Because, church, this world is literally dying for some good news. You can see it in people's faces. Uh, You can hear it in their fears. Uh, You can feel it in in the frustration that we have with a a government that trots out an octogenarian to tell us inflation is actually at 0% and then turns around and rams through uh, the Inflation Reduction Act that's going to make it much, much worse. And people are tired and they're disappointed. They're disappointed in churches that shy back from preaching the truth. And from a culture that keeps upsetting the apple cart of what's normal and what isn't anymore. And they just want to hear something real. And something that can really help. To help make sense of this life and what we're doing here and where we're headed. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can give that answer. Jesus who willingly experienced the most horrendous act of injustice ever perpetrated on this planet. Where the innocent was sacrificed for the guilty. The righteous for the rebellious. The holy for the hellbound at the one place, the only place where God's perfect righteousness and his relentless love for us meet and are reconciled. And church, that's at the cross of Calvary, where God's justice was perfectly administered, where his mercy was publicly displayed. When God took upon himself the punishment meant for the guilty, meant for us, for me, so that sinful, guilty human beings who were separated from God. And cut off from the kingdom could be reconciled to him without one ounce of guilt being swept under the rug. Without one bit of justice unserved or one drop of mercy wasted. All because of what Jesus endured in the incredible provenance of God's plan to adopt us. And to place us in the family of the church. And to baptize us as children of the king. And as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that we are today if we're in him. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the faithful witness of your word. We thank you for the gift of your son. We ask, Lord, that if there's even one among us or one listening uh, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence, that you would be opening eyes today, Lord. You'd be unstopping ears. You'd be taking out hearts of stone and replacing them with hearts of flesh, uh, converted by the gift of regeneration that only your Holy Spirit can bring. So, Lord, we ask that all that we do and say today would give you glory, that you would send us out in peace, and you would make us, Lord, faithful witnesses of this gospel of Jesus Christ, even as Philip was uh, with everyone that we encounter this week. And we, we thank you, Lord, and trust you for all that we know that you're about to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.